You're listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. Welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yelland. What many people are unaware of are the many side effects of chemotherapy, such things as peripheral neuropathy, which is a tingling in the extremities and may be accompanied by general fatigue, shakiness, or pain, which can affect balance and coordination. There's also nausea, dehydration, anemia, low platelet count, a weakening of the heart muscle, a loss of bone mass, skin sensitivity, and many others. But lurking in the background is a potential killer, a direct effect of chemotherapy, is cancer itself. Our guest today knows all this too well. She was treated with chemotherapy for her thyroid cancer and ended up with throat cancer, which the doctors freely admit may have been the result of the chemo and radiation. And joining us to tell her story is Jennifer Ball from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Jennifer, thanks for doing this. We greatly appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Now, the day after Christmas in 2009, you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer. Tell us what some of the symptoms you were experiencing that led you to go to the doctor to find out what was wrong with you. Actually, you know, it was partially divine intervention. I was not feeling too good on Christmas Day. I kind of felt like I was catching a cold or something like that. Um, the day after Christmas, or that night actually, I noticed that I had a lump in the side of my neck and thought maybe I had strep throat because, you know, was, your glands get puffy when you have strep. And mm-hmm. and um, later later on the next day, on the 26th, I, couldn't, I got to the point where I couldn't move my head, so I went to the emergency room to have it checked. They checked to see if I had strep, and that came back negative. And then they did some MRIs because they saw the lump as well. Um, they did an MRI and a CAT scan and uh, came back and were very surprised. The doctor came in and looked at me and she says, we need to get you, get you to oncology right away. And I was like, I have a cold. And she says, no, you have thyroid cancer and it's on the back side of your thyroid. So we never would have caught it. And I asked her what was up with the lump that was on the side of my neck. And she said that that has nothing to do with it. It was just a coincidence. Um, they gave me some, uh, I, I can't remember what they gave me, but just to help take the, the swelling down, so like a steroid or something. Um, and I was into oncology that next week. And I was very surprised about how quickly everything was moving. Um, I met with oncology and they scheduled a, a surgery date appointment of uh, February 1st. So, you know, within a month and a half, you know, I was going to be having surgery and it was just all a whirlwind. It was really, it was really crazy. Um, and I wasn't shocked by the thyroid cancer diagnosis because I have history of, of thyroid problems within my family, but they'd always done just chemo and radiation and everything was fine. I never expected to have, have a secondary cancer that was created by it. So the lump in the side of your throat, they said was just uh, coincidental. It was coincidental, so I, that's why I said I think it was divine intervention because that cancer had been there for quite some time. Oh, um, did the I, lump did the lump go away? 
the lump did go away when they gave me steroids. So that's why I said, you know, it was just, it was a weird coincidental kind of thing. It's yeah. purely a fluke that they caught it because um, they caught it in the emergency room. Jennifer, were you having trouble swallowing at all or anything like that? At that point, I wasn't. Um, I did. I was coughing all the time, and I still do, and just shortness of breath and things like that. But those are not the typical side effects of having thyroid cancer. You know, I wasn't having fluctuations in my weight gain, any of that. So nothing. None of the side effects that I had correlated with that type of cancer. Um, but fortunately, you know, like I said, they were able to get it, get in, and get it out very quickly, and they removed my entire thyroid. In February of uh, February first, two thousand ten. Your entire thyroid was removed. So, did they put you on any medications? They did. They put me on Synthroid, which made me hallucinate, made me crazy, mm-hmm. um, very agitated. Um, and they kept saying that that was probably just the side effects of chemo. But when I quit taking Synthroid, and you know, just I, I still don't. I'm not a big pharmaceuticals person anyway. Um, but I was very much the person that would listen to my doctors unless it made me feel hinky. So, um, you know, I started changing my diet back then. Um, and then after about two, three months of being in partial remission, because they said that uh, I, it wasn't growing, but it wasn't getting any worse, the areas that they were unable to remove. Um, so they said that I was in partial remission. And, you know, that's when I was really starting to look at diet and things like that. But then I got to a point where um, I suddenly couldn't talk. And I had no voice. My my voice was a whisper. And I've always had a very loud, dominant, booming voice. And like you guys, I was in broadcast for quite some time. So that was really devastating for me that all suddenly I was unable to talk. So I had to resign from my position on air. Now, when you were taking the chemo and radiation, what was that like for you? <sighs> Death from the inside out is the best way to explain it. The radiation made me feel like... My skin was melting. Uh, I couldn't stand anything to touch me. I couldn't stand for the air to touch me. My skin was really acidic. Um, I would get blisters and sores from it. And and it was just, it was a very, very, very painful process. Uh, And I can't, now looking back, I can't believe that I did it for so many years. And, uh, you know, it it, it was going to kill me. How many years did you do this for? I did chemo and radiation for five years. Holy. So also done about four and a half because I had that little bit of a break that uh, where I was in partial remission, so they quit treating me. Um, but so four and a half years of steady. And my, ty- my type of chemo was not the you go every three weeks. It wasn't like Red Devil or anything like that. Um, mine was done through IVs. And uh, I did chemo three days a week. And I did radiation two days a week. So I was at the hospital every day. So all said and done, I had over 100. I had 198 rounds of chemo. Holy. You know, I had a, a young woman who had thyroid cancer, and she had been radiated, and she said it was absolutely horrible that she, but she had not, nowhere near the length that you did, but she said she just laid there wishing she could die, and she felt like that was exactly what she was doing. She said yeah. she couldn't move. She just laid there, and she said it was horrible, and puked and puked and puked. And, yeah. Yeah. It was. And I, you know, and I still, at the time when I, when I started this journey, I was a single mom. So, you know, being, staying home and being sick really wasn't an option because I was the sole provider for my children. So I would just tough through it. And it was, you know, all the times that I would go to work. I mean, my skin was so sensitive that my eyes would bleed. 
And, uh, you know, I would, you know, have to wear sunglasses to work or, you know, my lips would crack and my mouth had all kinds of sores in it. But really, I mean, the part that caught everybody off guard, I think the most was when my eyes would bleed because they were so raw and my eyes would be bloodshot red, like as if I had been punched in the eyeball. And, you know, so I just I wore I wore shades more for everybody else because they had a hard time looking at me. Sounds like a living hell. It was. I'm glad it's over. Do you know, Jennifer, just listening to you talk about this, I can tell how painful it is even recalling you going through this, right? It is, yeah. Yeah. So you went through all this chemo and radiation. What happened after that? Um, November 28th of 2014, uh, my doctor, I went in for just a regular checkup. Um, I was getting, I was so sick. I could not walk from my bedroom to the bathroom without using, you know, holding onto the wall or possibly using a cane or something like that to walk. Um, I couldn't breathe properly. I couldn't catch breath. I still was at a point that I couldn't really talk. Um, I used wipe erase boards to be able to communicate with my assistant at work so that he could communicate with my clients um, and text to talk. So yay for technology. And so I went in that day and the doctor told me that they're going to give me one more round of chemo and radiation. But after that, they weren't going to be able to treat me anymore because they were afraid that if they did one more past that, it would kill me. Um, and that I needed to go home and make arrangements. So, so this was the thyroid cancer still, or was this, had they made this, this is when it progressed to the throat cancer. Okay. So, so they had told you that it was throat cancer at this stage then? Correct. Okay. And so this was two and a half years into the throat cancer. The throat cancer was a completely different battle because with that, I couldn't eat solid foods. I couldn't eat, you know, I I was on a juice diet. I used to call it the no diet, just the I can't have diet because I couldn't have anything. I couldn't have meat. I couldn't have solids. Everything was blended. Everything was mushy. You know, I was drinking things out of straws or, you know, just, you know, the most solid food that I could have was grits or like an oatmeal. And even that I really struggled with being able to eat, um, I couldn't chew because my jawbone was so weak from all of the treatments and it would click and pop before they told me that I was going to be untreatable. They put a mesh stint. It kind of looks like a straw and they put it into your throat. And once they get it into your throat, it pops open. Um, and so they put that in my trach and my esophagus, my esophagus because, um, they were collapsing from the type of cancer that I have since it was chemically created. It's not a mass it was an ivy. So it was wrapping itself around my trachea, my larynx, and my esophagus and pulling them closed. When you say, so, when you, sorry to interrupt, but when you say ivy, it's like it has little tentacles on it and just kind of like an ivy plant, I guess. Yeah, yeah like an ivy plant. That was yeah. the best way. When you looked at my, when you looked at my scans, you could see these little thin lines. There was no masses at that point. It was it was um, just that IV. That's the way the doctor explained it to me. And okay. when I told him I had never heard of anything like that, that's when they admitted that it could have been caused by the chemo and radiation that I had for my thyroid cancer. Now, did they treat uh, you with any chemo and radiation for the, the throat cancer then? Yes, they did. And that's, that's <sighs> yeah, so I, that's why I was saying I went through you know several years of it. Um, I had a little break in between, between thyroid cancer and throat cancer. Of no treatment. It was just a couple of months. And did, then back. Sorry back to on. interrupt, but did they tell you that you might end up with a different type of cancer as a result of round two of Never. chemotherapy? 
Never. Yikes. Holy, you've been through hell. And not only did they not tell me that, they didn't tell me what the side effects. They, you know, I got the typical side effects of, you know, you're you're going to be tired, you're going to vomit, you're going to be achy, you're going to feel like you have the flu. This is not feeling like the flu. It's, you know, you feel like your bones are crumbling, your jaw, like when you can't, you know, you, first of all, you can't speak, but then when you try and move your jaw, it hurts so bad that it gives you a headache, you know, and your skin is on fire all the time and you know there's no ointments or anything like that out there that really help with that um so yeah it was it was a it was a living hell jennifer did you think you were going to die yes i did when you can't eat you know i wasn't throwing up a lot but i couldn't eat anything um and i couldn't breathe there was a lot of times that i was really scared but i was not going to give up because i have kids you know i i got married in between phase one and phase two, you know, when I was in remission, I got married. Um, and thank God, you know, because he was really, he really helped lead me towards cannabis. And, um, and he, he was my rock. He made me stay strong when I didn't want to be strong. You know, he would hold me up when, hold me up and shower me when I was too weak to stand up and take a shower. Um, so yeah, there's days like that, that I was terrified that I wasn't going to make it. Did they not at one point tell you that to go home and make final arrangements? Yeah, that was November 28th, 2014. And what was interesting about that is that he did not tell me that they expected me to, to live less than a month. Um, he he did tell me that they were going to give me that one more round of chemo and radiation. But after that, they didn't want to give me any more because they thought that it was going to kill me. Or, you know, just the potential for it because my body was so weak. My lung capacity was at 43%. You know, I was, like I said, I wasn't able to walk on my own. Um, I was on oxygen 24-7. You know, I couldn't eat solid foods. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't keeping things down at that point. Um, and oddly, I didn't lose any weight. That's, that's kind of mad, maddening. But, you know, I got robbed there. But um, So they, say, I, they said you had a month to live. They didn't tell me I had a month to live. They told me to go home and make my arrangements. Oh, okay. But apparently they that's what not, they were talk that's what they thought yes. was that you had a month. I yeah. didn't realize that he only expected me to have a month to live until April of 2015 when I went in for my PET scan results and he tells me that he was shocked to see my name on his roster for the day. And I asked him why and he said honestly we didn't expect you to make it through the holiday. And I was like, "What holiday? Memorial Day?" You know, Easter, what are we talking about? And he said, Christmas. And I was like, oh, Christmas is not till the end of the year. And he said, last Christmas. And I had some very not nice words for him. I lost it. And I think that's the first time that my doctor ever saw me break down in his office and cry because I was so angry that they didn't tell me. Um, And at that point, I had already started using cannabis. I was using cannabis earlier on um, just to help with nausea and stuff like that. But when they told me that I needed to go make arrangements, my husband broke down and just started doing some serious researching. And that's when we found out about Rick Simpson oil. So between the beginning of December and April, all I used was Rick Simpson oil, CBD, and cut sugars out of my diet. You know, I did several things that we came across in researching. And when I went back in April for my PET scan, not only was I standing there, but, you know, my lung capacity was increasing. I was at 50% or 55% at that point. 
I was able to speak better. I was able to eat solid foods again. Um, I was making a lot of progress. My cancer was decreasing. And at that point, they were saying, saying, well, you know, oh, well, it could still be from the chemo. If it was from the chemo and the radiation, it would have years ago started shrinking. But this is the first time that not only was it not growing, but it started shrinking. And so the next time that I went in for my PET scan and a follow-up, my cancer was shrunk even more. The doctor was asking me, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, you know what I'm doing. And he was like, but there's no proof. And I was like, well, it's working. I don't know what it is, but it's working. So he told me to keep doing what I was doing. And in May 10th of this year, I was diagnosed cancer-free. And my doctor told me that he was flabbergasted because I do have a very rare type of cancer. And of the five people that he's had within the last 30 years, that I was the only one to survive it. Isn't that amazing? amazing. Wow. That's fantastic. So what's your status today? Um, right now I'm NED. I was just cleared um, as uh, no evidence of disease May 10th. But now I'm dealing with all the side effects of chemo and radiation. radiation. Uh, you know, Jennifer, that's what I tell yeah. people. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's not just about puking your heart out and uh, losing your hair. No, it's not. Um, you know, and, and sadly, because I've had so much chemo and radiation, the side effects of that are worse than what my cancer was. Um, and so I really, cannabis has been a huge help in that as well, because, um, my, my esophagus started plasticizing, um, and my epiglottis doesn't move the way it's supposed to, you know, we're not supposed to have to think about swallow, breathe. Uh, I do have to think about swallow, breathe sometimes. Um, and you know, I'll choke on my own saliva because my epiglottis isn't moving the way it's supposed to. Um, and that's when it's time for me to take more medicine so that I can relax those muscles and get it to where it's working properly. Um, you know, like I was telling you guys before we started, before we started recording, um, anytime that there's a weather change, I, you know, I'm the best meteorologist ever because I can tell that it's coming before it gets here. Um, you know, I can't breathe properly. My lungs get really heavy and I've actually been diagnosed with a secondary pleurisy, um, where the fluid builds up between your lungs and the lung sac, uh, whenever the barometric pressure is changing. So I have to go in and get my lungs drained. Um, Mm. you know, I ache all the time. I hurt all the time. Just my bones hurt all the time. Um, you know, and those are all the side effects that they don't tell you about. Jennifer, how much oil were you taking to get yourself cancer-free? I um, was up to a gram and a half a day of Rick Simpson oil. And depending on the day, typically I would do three squirts of CBD. Um, If I was having a bad day, if I was having problems swallowing or something like that, I would step up my CBD dose. But I started out at a very minuscule amount. I started at a grain of rice per day and then gradually got to where I was taking a gram and a half per day for the last month. Now, why do you take the extra CBD? Um, CBD, I found, helps to counteract the high in the THC. So, you know, one thing about Rick Simpson oil or FICO or, you know, those really strong concentrates is that you are going to have a high. And I didn't want that. So I use CBD to help counteract that. But then I also noticed that even though the Rick Simpson oil helped to 
helped with the pain and it did help with my throat some. It seemed like the CBD really helped to open up my airways more um, and relax me. So they really work very well together. And then, of course, you know, CBD doesn't give you any kind of high. So when I was at work, I could take extra CBD and, you know, and hopefully that would be enough. And then if it wasn't, if I needed to take extra Simpson oil, I would. And CBD is very good for bones, too. It is. It's very good for your bones. It's very good for you. It's good for your entire body. And I think, you know, when you're going through chemo and radiation and dealing with all of that stuff, plus, you know, the daily stresses of life, um, CBD helps to give you that additional balance to where you can just stay in a good mental state because being having a positive mental state is key. Huge, yes. Do you still take the oil on a daily basis? The Rick Simpson oil, you do? I do. And so right now I'm at a point that I'm trying to figure out what my what my daily regimen should be because I don't think that I need to be at a gram and a half a day. You know, I don't know. Do I need a half a gram? Should I be at a quarter gram? And I'm trying to find that balance um, and make sure that my cancer doesn't come back. So, you know, it'll be a forever. It'll be a protocol for the rest of my life to stay, you know, keep using Rick Simpson oil or even a coconut oil blend um, as a pill and, um, and CBD. One of the interesting things that I find about uh, cannabis is that it's different for everybody. Everybody needs a different protocol. There's not mm-hmm. a one-size-fits-all, right, Corey? I mean, Correct, yeah. Jennifer is looking for her sweet spot. Spot, yeah. That's what I was thinking when she was just saying that. Yeah, yeah. she's looking for her sweet spot, and your sweet spot, Jennifer, may be different than mine or different than Corey's or different from someone who is who is listening. So one thing that people don't realize, you got to play with this a bit, don't you? Someone said to us once, it's a dance. you got to find out what works for you. Exactly. Everybody is completely different. different. Yeah. And, um, and, and sometimes every day is different. You know, I had days where, you know, I could take a little bit of oil and a little bit of CBD and I was okay, you know, and even now that I'm in remission, you know, I have days like, you know, yesterday morning I took, you know, just, you know, a grain of rice and a shot of CBD. But then as I felt the storm front coming in, you know, my afternoon dose wasn't going to be enough because suddenly I was to a point where, I was struggling to breathe, so I needed to take extras. So it just, it really depends on what's going on with you. And then the strains matter too. You know, a a strain that works well for me may not work well for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so it's just trying to fine tune. And and now my entire family, we advocate uh, at New Mexico during the lobby days and things like that because we need the research. You know, if we had some sort of research, at least we would have something to go off of. And right now, patients are relying on other patients for information. And doctors are throwing their hands up in the air because they're frustrated and don't know what to do or how to do it, or that their hands are tied because they work at a federal facility. Even though they support it, they can't recommend it. So we're just in a really odd place, and it makes it that much more difficult for us as patients. What was your attitude toward cannabis prior to this? I was anti. I was the mom that would call the ki- call the cops on kids, and unfortunately, I did do that with a couple of my kids' friends. Um, you, and, you, know, you rat. <laughs> I know, and I'm such a hypocrite, and I've apologized to them, and now we all laugh about it. But, you know, I, I grew up in a world that, you know, my parents were Secret Service and Homeland Security. Um, they were in the military, so it was, you know, no, 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 no. 
And, you know, growing up in the time that I did, you know, you remember the the commercials that were, this is your brain, this is your brains on drugs. Any, any questions? Mm-hmm. You know, that's the era that I grew up in. And, you know, so then when we're doing all this research and we actually started using it for my son because my son has severe epilepsy. Um, and that's the only reason that I was willing to open my eyes because, you know, he had a day that he had had a it's called status where you have a seizure that doesn't stop. And it's one seizure after another. Well, he went into status and was he seized for 12 hours and the hospital couldn't get it to stop. Um, and then the next day because they released him once the seizures finally did stop. And the next day he started to go into that again. And I just had a friend at work that was standing there and we had been talking about it because, uh, weeds had come out with Dr. Sanjay Gupta and every, so that was just like what everybody was talking about at the time. Mm-hmm. And he just kept telling me, try it, try it. And in that moment of just pure despair, I was like, okay, let's try it. And, you know, my friend scooped my son up, put him into a vehicle, drove, drove him around the parking lot. Cause we were at my office and, um, I shotgunned him. I didn't even know what that was at the time. My friend had to describe it and his seizure stopped and I was flabbergasted. And so that's when we started our research for it. But I didn't think, even though I was battling my battle at the time, I'd never thought that I would use it for myself. And it took my husband looking at me one day and saying, you'll use it for your son because it helps him, but you won't consider using it for yourself to save your life. And I was like, uh, good point. You know, so, you know, we started using it and that's when I started using it for nausea. Um, but it wasn't until I was facing you know, go make your arrangements. I, when he said that, and I had no other options, that's when I really turned to cannabis and in a big way. Explain for listeners what you mean by shotgun. Um, shotgunning is where, at least the way I know it, because I'm, I'm still fairly new to all of this, um, is where you intake cannabis into your mouth. And when, when epileptics are seizing, most of the time they're incapacitated. Some people are still awake and they're coherent but my son is not and so i inhale a little bit of it without actually inhaling it just putting it in your mouth Mm -hmm. and blowing it directly into his mouth and nose um and just kept doing that because that's all i knew you know i didn't know anything else and then um then we learned how to make cookies and brownies and you know started regulating him with that you know so his journey was completely different than mine um, but we, I would use those things too. And then I found out, oh, cancer feeds on sugar. Nobody told me that. So there goes the cookies and the brownies, you know, so I was trying to find metal my way through because of how restrictive everything is, even though I'm in a medicinally legal state mm-hmm. at the time, a lot of the dispensaries didn't have the answers that I found to be acceptable. You know, they couldn't tell me what fertilizers they were using. They couldn't tell me, you know, the growing process, you know, cause I was researching and I wanted to know because my big thing was I'm already full of chemicals. My son is doped up out of his mind on Depakote for his epilepsy. Cause he was taking 38 pills a day. And, I don't want more chemicals in our body. I want it to be as pure and clean as possible. And since it's a plant, it should be. And when I didn't get the answers that I needed, I would buy plant material at the dispensary and then come home and make make it into other things so that it was possible for my son and I to take it without smoking it. How old is your son? Now he's 22. Okay. Uh, he was 18 when all of this start uh, when we started using cannabis for him. Um 
and but he didn't start having seizures until he was 15. So this whole thing, you know, 2009 was a horrible year. My son was diagnosed with epilepsy in June and I was diagnosed with cancer in December. It was just like not a fun year. You know, one of the things in in listening to your story that intrigued me is that the how the barometric pressure affects you. And it kills me. It's very painful actually. Yeah, it's yeah. It because it my lungs react to the barometric pressure, so it squeezes my lungs like as if yeah somebody yeah somebody's squeezing them, um, but then my lungs start to fill up with fluid too because I'm not breathing properly. What would happen if you were in an airplane? Have you been in an airplane since your uh, since your treatment? I have not. I'm just wondering what would happen to you if you were in an airplane as a result of. Uh I don't know, and that's actually one of the reasons that I'm kind of afraid to fly now. We drive everywhere just because I need to be able to adjust to whether it's a a temperature change or the barometric pressure change. So, you know, if I have time for it to adjust, you know, going because since I live in Albuquerque, there's mountains. You know, when you drive up the mountains and stuff like that, you know, you're adjusting to it. Mm -hmm. But when a storm comes in, there's no adjustment. It's just a sudden change in the barometric pressure. And most people feel it because, like, their bones will ache or, you know, they'll start to get a headache or something like that. I feel it because all of a sudden I can't breathe again. And, you know, I've been off of oxygen since... May of 2015, I still keep it around just in case I have a bad reaction to, you know, if a big storm comes in and I really struggle breathing, I, you know, I keep my ox, I keep my concentrator around for that. Jennifer, I'm wondering, you've been at death's doorstep and I'm wondering if it wasn't for your kids, whether you just would have resigned yourself to dying. Thankfully, I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I, you know, my kids were my everything. And then when I got married, my husband was my everything. And I just, I had too much to to live for and to fight for. And, you know, my exact words when I was originally diagnosed was, I don't have time for this. And, <laughs> I hear you. I'm going to win. How? <laughs> and the doctor would laugh. He laughed too. And he was like, well, nobody does. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I don't have time for this. I work 16 hours a day. I was a single mom. I was like, this is not, you know, I'm not going out like this. No way. I'm not going to let my kids see me dying and in a bed. They almost did. But, you know, thankfully for cannabis and me opening my mind that, you know, it never got that far. Well, thankfully for your husband for opening your mind, right? Yes. Opening my mind, man. I tell you what. He, we joke, I'm like, you're the worst pusher in the world. Cause he's like, you take medicine, you need to take your medicine. Do you have your medicine with you? You know, do you, you need to make more medicine. <laughs> but, and it's all done out of love. So I, you know, I definitely have no complaints. He's been, like I said, he's been my rock. That's right. Well, you'll get through uh, your issues. Keep taking cannabis, keep taking the CBD and uh, you'll come through the other side. You'll be fine. Oh yes, I, I now, like I said, it's trying to find what my what my daily ritual is going to be. But more importantly for me, um, since I didn't lose my voice, I still have it. Now I use my voice to advocate because um, I have a lot of friends that are losing in states that are illegal, and um, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it should matter what your zip code is as to whether or not you have a choice of using something. Yeah. Um, and if that's not the choice that you choose to make then that's your choice. But I still think that it should be a choice. Choice, yeah. Anything you'd like to say in conclusion, Jennifer? No, I mean, that's 
I think that's really everything. I really appreciate you guys doing this and helping educate people and change people's minds. It's, um, I wish I would have opened my mind a lot sooner because then maybe my battle wouldn't have been as long or as tough. Well, you opened your mind, so that's the main thing, right? Yes. Yes. Now we got to open the minds of everybody else. Yeah. I think the three of us, Corey, me, and you should start the Hypocrites Club. There you go. Let's do it. Yeah. Hypocrites Anonymous. Yes. I am the hypocrite mom. That's right. Thanks, Jennifer. Thank you. Very much appreciated, Jennifer. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day. And that's another edition of Cannabis Health Radio. If you'd like to tell your story about the medical use of cannabis, then send us an email at info at CannabisHealthRadio.com. Thanks for listening, everyone. You've been listening to the Cannabis Health Radio podcast. Visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.